But today we're going to be taking a look at, um, I'm just going to keep going through 1 Peter, right? So today we're going to continue to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 19. And if you'd like to open your Bibles and follow along, I'm going to go ahead and read 1 Peter verses 13 through 19. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 19. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you today, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship in your name. We thank you for the opportunity to learn, to work together through your word, to have your Holy Spirit enlighten us, We ask that you open our hearts and our minds and prepare us to receive whatever it is you'd like to teach us. I pray that you will speak through me, that this will be about you and only you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. So if you remember, um, I'm kind of a recap person, kind of somebody who likes to go over what we've been through already because it's easier to understand the context of the verse, right? Like if we just kind of hop around, you're not going to really know where I'm at. So, if you remember, we've been going through 1 Peter, and the first couple of verses, Peter introduces himself. He also uh, talks about who he's writing to, okay? Then, in verses 3 through 9, Peter walks us through the hope of our salvation, right? The hope of our salvation, it lies in Christ. It's kept in heaven. It's safe and secure. And we can basically rest easy knowing that the Lord has us in his arms, right? It's also something that strengthens us, right? And, and gives us muscles spiritually so that when we go through trials and tribulations, we're able to handle it and to focus on the one that can lead us through it, right? Then he walks us through the importance of our salvation in verses 10 through 12. I don't know if you recall, uh, he, Peter looked at it through four different avenues. The first was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads and affirms our salvation, right? He, he's the one that calls us to salvation. He, he gives us our salvation, and then he secures our salvation, and, and he's a proof of our salvation when he comes and lives inside of us. Um, also, the second one was the prophets. They, they desired to understand more about the salvation, and they studied the scriptures on a daily basis, right? And the Holy Spirit wrote the Old Testament and the New Testament, inspired the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles, right? Which brings us to the apostles. They were called to spread um, the importance of our salvation. They were called to spread the gospel. That's how important it was that Christ literally gave them the great commandment, go out among the earth, making disciples, right? Like, that's how important our salvation is. And... Lastly, it was the angels. The angels longed to better understand it because it was for humans only. The angels don't have a plan of redemption. They don't have uh, a plan to be saved. The fallen angels will be cast in the lake of fire. There is no hope. There is no redeeming. There is no salvation for them. It's only for human beings. God loves us so much that he is going to redeem us, right? But not the angels, right? Now Peter is going to start speaking in response to what we should, I'm sorry, to the response we should have to our salvation, right? The response we should have to our salvation is sanctification, right? The word sanctification literally means to set apart to a sacred purpose or to religious use, to consecrate, to free from sin or purify, 
to impart or impute sacredness or respect to, to give moral or social sanction to, right? Basically to live in a way that honors and shows our gratitude for our salvation. That's, that's what sanctification means, right? Is to honor God and, and be grateful and show him our gratefulness through the way we live our lives, through continually be sanctified, to purify ourselves, right? Um, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie Saving Private Ryan. Uh, one of my favorite, favorite movies. Um, it was so realistic that uh, some of the World War II veterans actually said that um, it brought back vivid memories for them, right? And, and the <clears throat> gist behind Saving Private Ryan was there was uh, James Ryan, played by Matt Damon, was one of four brothers, right? Three of the brothers died in war, and he was the fourth one in the war, and Tom Hanks led, he was Captain John Miller, he led a group of men to go find this, this fourth brother, this Private Ryan. And the reason he went and did that, obviously, because his other three brothers died. So they were, they were trying to bring him home from the war so that his mom didn't have four stars, only three, hanging on a window, right? Okay? So if you remember, slowly but surely, they, they stormed the beaches of Normandy and they lived through it, they, they, like one of the worst things you could possibly imagine. Then Tom Hanks takes a, a band of, of army personnel, and they go try to find this James Ryan. And throughout the story, one by one, they, I hate to say, are whittled down, but one by one, they start dying, right? Like this, these men are literally dying to go find this, this one leftover private Ryan to bring him home, right? Basically to go save him from this war. And at the very end of the movie, I don't know if you remember, they had the massive battle scene, right? They had to protect the bridge and, and Private Ryan said, I'm not leaving. I don't care what you do. I'm not leaving my men behind. I'm staying right here. I'm going to protect this bridge. That's what I was called to do, and that's what I'm going to do. So Tom Hanks looks to the other guys, and the other guys are like, okay, well, I guess we're staying too, right? Because our job is to bring this guy home alive, right? So they prepare for this battle, the massive battle, extremely, extremely hardcore. And at the very end of the battle, Tom Hanks is, is laying there on the ground, and he's bleeding to death. And he looks up at Private Ryan. And, and Matt Damon is kneeling over him, and, and he literally says, earn this. He says, earn this, right? And then you, you, you see it flashes forward, and he's standing before Tom Hanks' grave and all the other men, and he's crying, right? And basically, Tom Hanks was trying to tell him, look at the sacrifice around you, right? Look at what has been paid for your life. Look at what happened, what everyone did, for you to go home, right? And although we can't earn our salvation, obviously, there's no way to earn our salvation. It's a free gift from God, as we all know, right? Our response to that salvation should almost be a, a gratitude that we want to earn, right? That we want to live a life of sanctification constantly showing God through our lives how we are grateful for what he has done for us, right? Christ came down and died on the cross. He paid the ultimate sacrifice, just like those men paid for James Ryan, right? So, again, you can't earn it, but we should respond in a manner, manner that shows our gratitude. So the question is, why and how should we become sanctified? Why should we become sanctified, right? We hear a lot about this grace. We even had a song about grace, right? Grace, grace, God's grace, right? So does that mean... Because we're saved by God's grace that we should just sit back and relax and, hey, we're saved. We're good. We don't have to worry about it. 
right? We're good. I'm saved. I'm just going to sit over here, continue to do whatever I want, right? Almost as if, hey, if I continue to be wretched and live a sinful, miserable life, that will just, God's grace will abound. It will continue to show more and more that, that he is gracious and loving toward me, right? Well, that's not completely right. Paul kind of addresses that, right? In Romans 6, 1 through 4, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in sin? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So sin was our old life. We are called to come out of sin, to purify ourselves, to live in newness of life, right? We are called to be sanctified. And in verse 13, Peter shifts to using the imperative. He starts out, he says, therefore. This is a command. This isn't, this isn't just like, hey, so if you don't mind. No, he's literally saying, Look at everything I've just mapped out for you. Look at the importance of your salvation. Look at the hope of your salvation. Now, let's talk about how you should respond. He's, it, it's, it's literally a command that it's not a choice, right? He's literally saying, because of this, you are to do this. Because of what I've written to you about what Christ did, this is how you're supposed to live your life, right? So I have four points today that I would like to share with you about how and why we are sanctified. The first point is, salvation leads to sanctification through prayer and the study of God's word. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A lot of verses in the Bible have a military connotation to them, which is kind of why I picked the analogy that I did this morning, right? Plus, it's a great movie if you ever get a chance, okay? Um, we, are, what, we are constantly in a war. The Bible's constantly telling us how we're engaged with the spiritual aspect, right? Our flesh is at war with the spirit constantly. And the Bible constantly reminds us of this, right? Not only are we in the middle of a war, we're being attacked. And the more we grow closer to Christ, the harder life becomes sometimes because the more Satan turns up the heat, right? So when it talks about preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, the New King James actually calls it to gird up your loins of your mind, right? It's telling us, get ready, prepare yourself, right? Stay focused on what the goal is. Stay focused on Christ. Stay focused on your salvation so that you might continue to become sanctified throughout your life and purified throughout your life and grow closer to Christ, right? The word set or fix is from the Greek, apasade, uh, uh, right, which is an active imperative. It, it literally uh, means that he's giving an order in a military fashion where it says, set your mind, right, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you. It's, it's literally a military order to stay focused on God and the hope and grace that you've got through your salvation, right? Hope. That's a, that's, a, that's a strange way, hope, right? So, so faith, if you think about it, faith is, is for now. Faith is for the present, okay? Hope is a future faith. It's, it's still faith. It's just faith that God is in control of the future. It's faith that whatever happens, he will keep you safe, right? And, and what 
Peter is trying to say is focus on that. Means without wavering or with, without doubt, right? Faith is trusting in God for the present and hope is trusting in God for, for the future. So we're to have faith that God is going to fulfill his promise, right? That, that when we die, we will be granted our salvation. We will be given our salvation. We will take hold of our salvation like he described earlier. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. James 1, 6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So what is that telling us? That's telling us if you want your faith to grow, right? If, if you want to be strong in your faith, you have to be in the word. You have to be constantly connected to God. And if you're not, you will be thrown about, tossed to and fro. You'll always be doubting. You'll always be unsure. When the struggles come, you won't know who to turn to. You won't know what to do. You won't know why. And, and, and God doesn't always let us know why. But at least we can trust in him. Right? At least we can have hope, even if we don't know why. But if you're not in the word and you're not praying, right, then how are you ever going to understand what God has done? He's given you an amazing book here, right? John Piper says, if prayer doesn't come easy for you, consider yourself normally fallen and sinful like the rest of us. Then fight. If it was easy, everyone would do it. If it was easy, we all get up and read the Bible every single morning. If it was easy, we wouldn't need to be here. We just go home and read the Bible and pray every day, right? The Christian life is not easy, right? Walking with God is not easy. It's a struggle and a constant one at that. Number two, sanctification leads to the ability to lead a godly life. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So as we grow in our faith and we continue in our sanctification, um, we gain strength to lead a life for Christ, right? When it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We have been freed from our old life. That's what he's trying to say here. Don't, don't go back to what you were doing. Don't go back to the bad habits. Don't go back to, don't give up. Stay focused and stay faithful, right? And, and if we have strength, we'll be able to continue in our faith. If we have strength, we won't resort back to what's comfortable. I don't know if you, if you can recall um, or if anybody else has this problem, maybe I'm the only one. Um, but when you get stressed out, there's that one thing that you know you shouldn't do, but you always do. You always turn back to that one bad habit because you think, well, that's what relieves my stress. Well, what Peter's trying to say here is it doesn't relieve stress. It just causes more angst. It just causes more anxiety. And you shouldn't turn back to it, right? Because we've been freed. And, and God commands us to be holy or separate. And our obedience is our way of showing our love and gratitude. 1 John 2, 5 through 6 says, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Our lives and how we live point others to or away from Christ. Right? We should not live a life that's shaped by our old habits. We should not be living in a way that reflects who we used to be. We should be living in a way that reflects who Christ is in us. We should be living in a way who, when people look at us, they, they can tell there's something different. And 
By the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been given that ability to do so, right? We've been given a new life to live righteously in Christ. And again, here the word holy is another way of saying purified or sanctified, right? Peter isn't saying that we should be sinless. That's not possible, right? He's not saying, hey, if you're saved, there's no way you're ever going to sin again. And if you sin again, you're not saved. So give up, right? We don't have to keep coming up day after day, rededicating, re, re accepting Christ as our Savior every day. I accepted him again. I accepted him again. I, no, we don't have to do that. We did that once. We're good. We just have to live for him. That doesn't mean we're not going to sin. That doesn't mean we're not going to fall. That doesn't mean we're not going to fail. That just means we're going to get up and keep moving forward, right? When things get hard, we rely on Christ to take us through, right? We are to strive to remove sin from our lives until we're made perfect in heaven. That doesn't mean that we, again, grace, grace, God's grace. Well, I'll just sit down and I don't have to work on it, right? No, we, we are to live in a manner that he lived. He set the example for us, right? So constant calls to not look or act like the world is basically what Peter's trying to say here. We're not supposed to be of the world, in the world but not of the world. Again, one of my favorite quotes. Not a Bible verse, but a favorite quote. Number three, sanctification leads to godly wisdom. Verse 17 says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile. What does it mean to call on God as Father? Right? What, is it, what does that truly mean, if you call on him as Father? It, too often nowadays we associate our parents, especially our Father, with, with the attributes of God. Right? And... and Unfortunately, our fathers tend to scar us sometimes, right? Sometimes uh, we've not had the best fathers, right? And sometimes our fathers, who are human, screw up. So we look at God's and we attribute those things that aren't the best that our fathers did, and we attribute those to God, which isn't really fair to God because he's not an earthly father, right? He, he's, not, he, he's not the guy who you grew up with who got angry, because you spilt milk on the floor, right? Sorry, kids. Um, <laughs> what it means is you have an intimate relationship with Christ, right? When you call him Father, what it's trying to say is you are intimately connected with him. Not Daddy, not Papa, right? Father. There's a reason it says Father, okay? And that Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? He is our Father. He is loving. We have a relationship. We are connected. He wants us to know Him. Okay? And that's what it means when it says, If you call on Him as Father. And to call on Him, right? Uh, means to pray to him. If you ask of him, if you have a relationship with him, right? It goes on to say if, if he is the judge, right, who, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. And, and if, if we understand that he is the judge of the universe, that's where I came up. That's why I said it's not Papa, it's not Daddy, it's Father. This, this God 
created the heavens and the earth. This God created everything around you, right? This, the respect you should have. Fear doesn't mean I'm scared. Fear means I understand my place in this world. Fear means I understand his place and who he is. Fear means I respect him. If you notice, little kids, they grow up, they start out with daddy, 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 and it's the cutest thing on earth, I'm not going to lie, right? I've got a lot of them, and it's very pleasurable to hear that when you come home. It's my favorite part of my day. Dad, right? And as they get older, and they, they get away with, from daddy, and they start going toward dad, right? Father is the even more mature, respectful way to talk to your father and to God. Right? So that's why it says Father, because it's talking about fear and respect. To understand who you're talking to means that you understand what he is, who he is, and, and more about his character. And it means you have a desire to get to know him more, right? It means that you have a personal, intimate relationship with him. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1.11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Proverbs, I'm sorry, that was Psalms 1.11. Proverbs 3.19 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens, right? Solomon wrote Proverbs. The wisest man never walked the earth. This, this, this is full of wisdom, right? And, and if you grow closer to the Lord and you fear the Lord, you start to become wise and everything you do. You start to become wise in how you act. You start to become wise in how you make decisions, right? When you fear him, you start to understand who he is. You start to understand his will. You understand his heart. You understand his desire for your life. And he slowly imparts wisdom into your life, right? I mean, do our lives reflect the respect that we have for who God is? When it says to conduct yourselves, right? Do, do you conduct yourselves in a manner that shows fear and respect to the Lord? That shows that you are wise enough not to, quote unquote, talk back, right? Even when things are hard, even when things are difficult, it, are, are you wise enough to say, he loves me, he's going to take care of me, right? And that's what sanctification does. The, the closer you grow to him, the, the more you know him, the more you understand him, the more wisdom he imparts because of the fear that you, you have for him and the respect that you have for him, right? So as we become less, he becomes more. Ultimately, the wisdom is the recognition of how wretched we are and how magnificent he is, right? When we understand our place, that's, that's when we really gain wisdom. When we understand our place in this world, our place in his plan and our place in, in his, his, his world, so to speak. We start to become wise, right? The last reason for our sanctification um, is the sacrifice of Christ. The sacrifice of Christ. Verses 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter is saying that once we are saved, the Holy Spirit enlightens us to the fact that we are no longer living in sin. We are no longer to live for sin, but we are to live for Christ, right? Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We are to live for Christ. That's, that's, that's why. 
That's the reason that we become sanctified. Because he died for us, right? He, he, he literally bought us back. The, the term here used for ransom is a Greek, again, I'm going to go toward the military, right? <laughs> uh, the term here used for ransom is actually uh, a term the Greeks would use when they would buy back a prisoner of war. They literally would give money to purchase back somebody that was in jail, imprisoned, bonded, uh, in chains. They, they would pay to get this prisoner back. That's what this word ransom meant in Greek. Literally, you were enslaved to your sin, and he purchased you. He purchased you with his blood. He purchased you with his life. He came down from heaven, the most perfect, glorious place you can ever possibly imagine, and nailed himself to a cross, right? So that he could buy you out of bondage to sin, and you could live a life for him. Vain existence, right? The, 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 not, I can't even explain how, how grateful and amazing that is to, to think about, right? It, it, you were bought with the precious blood of Christ. Well, what this means is you, you were literally bought with, with someone who, who didn't deserve to die, the blood of someone who didn't deserve to die, right? And you were bought from, it, it goes back to say, uh, inherited from your forefathers, futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Futile ways describes a vain existence, right? And when it talks about inherited from your forefathers, what, what he's trying to say here is, do you remember the Pharisees? Do you remember how they had rules and regulations? They would go down the list and they would check a list off. They would check a box off. They were continually, they were, they were futile ways because they didn't save you. Your futile ways are saying, okay, I went to church today. Um, I tithed. Um, I didn't scream that much at my kids, um, right? You, you, are you checking a box off? Are you, are you, is this just a routine? Basically, that's what he's trying to say. If, if this is a routine, it's futile. You don't earn salvation. It was paid for by God himself who didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve to die, but he did it because he loved you. So that's what he's trying to say here. You, you're not going through life checking off boxes. You're literally being grateful for what you've been given and, and how you've been bought back and you're to live a life that reflects that. Christ did nothing. He didn't deserve it. He willingly laid down his life. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Literally, we are bound in our own sin. We can't earn it. Because of our sin, we deserve death because he is a glorious, holy God. He came down and he died on the cross and he paid for your sin. And he exchanged his righteousness for your wretchedness. Right? And he has given us an opportunity to go to heaven. It's a free gift. The free gift of eternal salvation is only given through the blood of Christ. By putting your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, you can go to heaven. You will have eternal salvation. You will be ransomed back. You will be bought back out of the prison of sin. We're in a war. We're in a war for your soul. Every day, 
Satan is fighting and doing everything he can to destroy you and destroy your life, to keep your focus away from Christ, to keep your focus away from the reason that we continue to live in the manner we do. And he does a good job some days, I'm not going to lie. The closer you get to God, the harder it is and the bigger the struggle is. And the more you just want to throw your hands up in the air and walk away, the more you want to go back to your old life. That's why it's so easy to... to, to to just make a checklist. Okay, I've done what I should, and I'll move on. Satan's not going to bother you. He doesn't care about you. You're ineffective for the gospel. You cannot be effective for the gospel if you are not fully committed and sold out and living a life for Jesus Christ. So I'll leave you with this. Our responsibility is to act, not to just sit back and wait to die. We're saved. We're good. I'm going to sit down, wait till God calls me home. No. Therefore means get up and go out and do something to show your gratitude. Earn this. Look at what has been paid. Look at the price that has been ransomed for you. Right? The Bible and prayer. I know I harp on this a lot. This book is amazing. Every day you open this, you grow closer to God. There's a Justin Peters. I really like him. If you don't know who he is, look him up. One time he said, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear him out loud or if you want to hear him audibly, read it out loud. Right? You want to hear the voice of God, open up the word and start reading it. You want to grow closer to God, start praying. You want to have a relationship with someone, you've got to talk to them. Don't expect them to have a relationship with you that's very uh, satisfying or fulfilling if you're never having a conversation with him. We're not real good friends if we only see each other once a year. You can't tell me you love me very much if you never call. Right? John Piper said it best. Be amazed that you have a Bible. Get up in the morning, hold this book and weep for joy. Open it. And expect the same spirit who inspired the scriptures will now illuminate them for you. Cry out to God on a daily basis and ask for wisdom. Ask him for the ability to live a life for him, right? Remember the price that was paid for you. Remember what he did. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I beg and plead, come find me. Let's talk. I'm not offering you uh, uh, better roses. I'm offering you salvation. And this life is going to be hard. And again, when you accept Christ as your Savior, it gets even harder. But I promise you, it's worth it. It's worth every second. It's worth every tear. It's worth every pain and sorrow. It's worth everything. Because he gave everything so that you could be with him. So I encourage you as you go out there this week, live for him. Get up every morning and treat this like it's the air you breathe and the food you devour. Without it, you will die. But you will become infective. You will fade away and your relationship will wax and wane. But if you ask, he will come beside you and give you wisdom. He will give you love. He will give you contentment. And you will be able to have joy in all times, in all situations. 
And that's what Peter's telling this group of people right now. Because persecution is real, and this life is hard, but Christ loves you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've given us today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your son. And I ask, Lord, that you give us the strength to continue in our sanctification, to continue working on a daily basis toward a stronger, better relationship with you, Father, the God of heaven and earth. You set the moon and the stars into place. You hung the earth where it is. You created all things, and you make all things new by your Son, for your Son, and through your Son. Everything is to glorify him, and I pray that you give us the honor of serving you and the strength to do so on a daily basis, Lord. I pray for anyone out there right now in their heart, Lord, that doesn't know you, open their heart, open their mind. Let them come to you, Lord. Call them home. If they want to talk, bring them to me so I can sit with them and tell them who you are and how glorious your salvation that you've been given to us is. Thank you for the ransom that you paid. In Christ's name.